Uh, today's scripture reading is from uh, James chapter 1, verse 12 to 15. Uh, read along uh, your Bibles. If not, um, it's on the screen. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This is the word of our God. Amen. Thank you, Josiah, for reading our passage for today. And uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our worship service here today. Um, if you're visiting or if this is your first time to Cornerstone, uh, we give you a warm welcome. We're glad that you're here um, visiting us. And we hope and pray that you are encouraged, blessed by the Spirit as we sing together, as we pray together, as we hear God's Word together. And today is the first Sunday of the month, and so you might have seen on your way into the sanctuary, there were little communion cups for you to take if you plan to partake in communion. And so we hope that the sacrament of communion will also nourish you and nourish your soul as we worship our God together. And so uh, I just realized before um, I go into our message for today, I prayed for Gabby and Yunhai. They were last week's Missionary of the Week. This week it's Cindy and Robert of the Philippines. So I just realized I made that mistake. So uh, we pray for them. Uh, who are in the Philippines serving amongst the unreached people, Cindy and Robert Moscoso, who are our supporter missionaries of this week. And so we'll uh, put that in our announcements later on as well. And so uh, today's passage is from uh, James uh, chapter 1. And we only read a few verses of this uh, letter that James wrote. And uh, we see that this first chapter in general talks about the joys of suffering, and how God allows for these trials to come in our lives, these temptations at times and sufferings that we endure. And the hope is that these trials would eventually lead to life, right? The, the passage we saw said the crown of life. So we're going to explore more of what that means for us today. So let me just pray one more time and ask the Spirit to reveal His Word to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to reveal the truth of your word to us, that the words that I give here today would be words led by you and the truth of who you are and all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And so, God, we humbly pray that all of our hearts and minds would be open here to hear the truth of the gospel and that even in these imperfect words that I will say right now, Lord, that you will do mighty things and powerful things in us at Cornerstone, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the author of our book, James, who wrote this, uh, was at the time writing to Jewish Christians who were enduring sufferings of all different types. There was a lot of poverty amongst the Jews. There was oppression and persecution because they 
became Christians. They no longer stayed just Jewish, but they declared that Christ was the Messiah. And so you can imagine they were a minority who were ostracized for believing in what Christ has done and taking that step of faith and forming the early church at the time. So James pays particular attention to these people who are suffering in this letter. So when we do talk about trials here, when James talks about trials, he really is talking about suffering. Now, they don't always go hand in hand. Trials don't always equal suffering. But in this case, James is indeed talking about people who are suffering, who are going through a lot of hardships. And the word trial can often mean, or can equate tempt or test. Uh, in the Greek, they're the same meaning, the same word is used. But uh, in this case, it does not always mean enticement to do wrong. That's what we often think what tempt means, right? When we tempt someone, we're tempting them to do something wrong. Uh, and we'll get, later, get to that later in our passage. It addresses that. But the trial that James is talking about here is the suffering that the people are enduring, particularly the oppression, the poverty, the persecution these Jewish Christians were going through at the time. And if we think about poverty, oppression, persecution in our own country, we often think about slavery and about racism that was embedded with slavery and how that carried on for many, many years. And even a century after slavery was abolished, there was segregation. And that was when it finally started to change, when segregation was abolished, not too long ago, in the, in the 1960s. And so those remnants still carry today, and we've seen that play out in our society. Uh, we see racism every day in our society, and not only in individual situations, which I'm sure we have observed, which I'm sure many of us have been victims of racism as being minorities here, many of us, but we see the ways, in it, ways it is still a systemic problem in our society. And Martin Luther King was one of the leaders of the civil rights movement, as probably all of you know, that helped change many of these systemic issues in the 50s and 60s, and helped overturn segregation and made our country better for it. Um, and he talked about suffering and trials many, many times. And you can imagine why, because his people were enduring many sufferings and trials. And in his article, Suffering and Faith, written in 1960, he wrote this about how his trials pointed him to God. And he says this. He says, My personal trials have also taught me to, to the value of unmerited suffering. As my sufferings mounted, I soon realized that there were two ways that I could respond to my situation, either to react with bitterness or seek to transform the suffering into a, into a creative force. I decided to follow the latter course, Recognizing the necessity for suffering, I have tried to make of it a virtue, if only to save myself from bitterness. I have attempted to see my personal ordeals as an opportunity to transform myself and heal the people involved in the tragic situation which now obtains. I have lived these last few years with the conviction that unearned suffering is redemptive. There are some who still find the cross a stumbling block, and others consider it foolishness. But I am more convinced than ever before that it is the power of God unto social and individual salvation. 
So like the Apostle Paul, I can now humbly yet proudly say, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. The suffering and agonizing moments through which I have passed over the last few years have also drawn me closer to God. More than ever before, I am convinced of the reality of a personal God. Now, Dr. King brings out this amazing truth that James actually highlights for us in our passage, that when we endure these trials and sufferings and we remain steadfast in God, it draws us closer to him. Let me read verse 12 again of our passage. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. James says if we endure these trials and if we fix our eyes on God, we receive the crown of life. Now, solely based on these verses, you may think, okay, so if I so happen to endure a trial or if I so happen to endure suffering, then I have to endure it, then I can receive the crown of life. But actually, earlier in James, he makes it clear that we are to welcome these trials, not to just simply endure them, but to welcome these trials because these trials are actually a good gift. And that's the language that James uses. He considers them a good gift. He says in verse 2 of our passage, not our passage, but of earlier in our chapter, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, I don't want to be insensitive to those who have dealt with great loss and suffering in their lives. Many of you have lost loved ones, have lost children, mothers, fathers, grandparents. Some of you have dealt with great illness and sickness in your life that you continue to face every day. I don't want to minimize suffering in that sense that many of of you endured. It is awful. It is a terrible reality of living in a fallen world, a sinful world, where our bodies, our minds, our lives are disintegrating. And we know that the result of that is we will all die eventually. But in the the meantime, many of us face a lot of trials and sufferings. We all endure trials and sufferings to some degree. However, the message we see here today in James is that these trials, which include sufferings, it leads to blessing when we turn to God, when we fix our eyes on Him. So God brings trials for the purpose of blessing. God brings trials for the purpose of blessing. And trials help us because, as Chuck Swindle, a pastor, he puts it in this way, it leads it to faith, which leads then to obedience and ultimately perseverance of faith. So when we face oppression and suffering, oftentimes we have nowhere else to turn. We have nowhere to go. We see that in Scripture. David, in times of trial and suffering, he had nowhere to turn except to God. And we often feel that way. We feel hopeless. We feel helpless when we are at rock bottom. Nothing that our loved ones can say to us, nothing that we can say to ourselves to make ourselves feel better, We are just stuck, and there's nothing we can do. 
So a lot of times in those moments, all we can do is turn to God. And this is in the Bible. This is biblical. Trials lead us to turn to the Lord. And that is a blessing that we are aware enough to turn to God in those moments. And let's look at Romans 8 to help us. Romans 8, 16 to 17 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Excuse me. Basically, Paul is saying that we suffer with Christ. And when we do so, we will be glorified with Christ. So whether it is disease or persecution, we can, as James says, count it as joy because that gives us greater opportunity to trust in the Lord. And John Piper, another pastor, he puts it this way. He says, the purposes of being shaken by suffering is to make our faith more unshakable. Let me say that again. The purposes of being shaken by suffering is to make our faith more unshakable. The Apostle Paul talks about how there is a purpose in this suffering, and that suffering is a greater faith, at least to a greater faith and a more unshakable faith. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, Apostle Paul says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Key phrase is, but that was to. Shows purpose in these events, in these trials. Paul is explaining how he couldn't rely on himself any longer. And all he could do was rely on God. And that is faith. That is what faith is to rely wholeheartedly on God, to trust in him wholeheartedly and not to trust in ourselves any longer. When things are going well in our lives, it's so easy to trust ourselves and not rely on God. Now, when everything is going our way, why would we even turn to God? What would be the point? You know, what does he offer us And how quickly we turn away from God when everything just seems to be going our way because we think things are going well. What what do I need to ask of God? Why why do I even need him in my life? And that's why these tests and trials come in our lives, to remind us of our need for Christ and his redeeming work and how everything is dependent on God alone and not on us. There's many stories like the one I'm about to share, but I, I found this one, a story about a nam, man named Brad who had all the fame, fortune, success that you could ever want. And this is what he says specifically. It's not, I'm not saying this. These are his words. He said he had all the fame, fortune, and success that he could ever want. But ultimately, drugs brought everything to a halt. He got addicted to drugs, and he lost everything as a result lost his family, his wife left him with his two children, and he lost all his belongings. And his money 
his belongings, his wife, his children, all of it was gone. And he ended up living on the streets, was homeless. He got scammed even at one point in his life. And he says, he says this. He says, it took me hitting rock bottom or hitting bottom, sitting in prison for me to take a long, hard, uncomfortable look at myself. Forgot to mention, he ended up in prison where I had been and more disheartening where I was going. I was on a one-way road to hell and did not know how to detour from the life I had led and continued to lead. Most people would consider a prison a misfortune, but for me, it was a blessing, a life-changing blessing. For me, it took prison to accept Christ and rebuild my life, a life that is still in the making. We never hope this is what it takes. We never hope that it takes us to end up in prison to bring us to God, bring us to faith, bring us to trust in Him. But oftentimes, or not oftentimes, but sometimes, it is what it takes. And as I mentioned earlier about what Chuck Swindle says, this faith is what leads to obedience. We obey God and His Word because we see that His Word is true And living in obedience to his word is the best way to live, the way we are called to live. So we seek to love God and love others, and we see how amazing it is. That when more trials come, as they often do, we continue to live in obedience. We continue to follow God, live in obedience. We continue to persevere. We continue to trust in him that much more each and every day. And one day when our earthly life eventually comes to an end, we receive the crown of life. And the crown of life that James is referring to here is not some gold royal crown that you may be thinking in your mind right now, made up of diamonds or uh, uh, emeralds or jewels of that sort, anything like that. But it's referring more to the crown of what athletes would be given when they would win a race or win a competition. And if you remember from the year 2000, it's been a long time since then, uh, the Summer Olympics happened in Athens back then, and they gave all the medalists a wreath, a crown wreath at the podium because that was the type of wreath that was given in the original ancient Olympic Games in Athens, where the games date back all the way to 776 BC. Again, not... A.D. or C.E., how they say it now, but B.C., 776 B.C. And so when we look at what Paul is referring to in in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about this as well, about athletes putting in all this effort to achieve this wreath, right? This, This crown made out of a wreath that will eventually wither away, right? But the race that we run as Christians is for an imperishable wreath, a wreath that will not disintegrate one day, one that does not fade, that is the crown of life. That's what James is talking about as well, this crown of life that will not fade. And so God brings trials for the purposes of blessing, and when we persevere, we receive the crown of life. Now, the next part of our passage is about how James makes it clear that God is not the one tempting us. Right? He makes it very clear, and I want to make it very clear for us too. God is not the one tempting us, and God himself cannot be tempted. He is God. He's perfect. 
and he can never be tempted to do something wrong. And because he is good and perfect, he could never tempt anyone else to do something wrong. And so God brings trials and not temptations. So this is a very important distinction that we are making here. Again, the word trial and, and temptation are the same word in Greek, but James is going out of his way to explain the context of the type of trials that God is giving us. God does not lead you into temptation. No, it is our own fault as to why we are tempted to sin. Our desires are what bring temptation. We are lured and enticed by our own desire. That's what James says. And, and it's this fishing metaphor that we see being used. This temptation is drawing us away from the shelter of where we are so that we get hooked onto this deadly trap, right? This deadly trap of sin, misleading us to have a false sense of satisfaction, a false, false sense of joy. And so not only is it our desires, but in other parts of scriptures, we see that the devil is the one leading us into temptation as well. We see the devil try to tempt Jesus uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4 and, and Luke chapter 4 to tempt Jesus to try to get him to sin, sin against the Father. And the devil, the evil one, tempts all of us to do that. But it is ultimately our desires that are tempting us to sin. Our desires, our sinful desires, our indwelling sin because of the fall, because of what Adam and Eve did, the original sin that brought, was brought uh, uh, through them, through their disobedience of God, through eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil that God told them not to do. We have this original sin, this indwelling sin in all of us. So these, these tests, these trials that happen, for us, it does lead to temptation oftentimes, but that's not because of God, that's because of us. We have disobeyed God. Our desires are, are against what God desires of us. So it is this indwelling sin that allows these tests and temptations to become sinful, to become sinful desires that develop in our hearts. Then James puts the literal nail in the coffin when he says, sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, this does not mean that if we sin, we automatically are going to die. Right? That's not what this means. If we know the gospel of Jesus, we know that he died for all sins, past, present, future, all of the sins that we have committed, commit now, and will commit in the future. And as long as we trust in him, we will not perish, as John 3.16 says, and we will have everlasting life. What James is actually talking about here is if we give in to sin completely, if we allow it to fully grow. So the progression is desire, this desire that gives birth to sin. So we have these sinful desires because of the fall. And then sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. And this fully grown sin is sin that is unrepentant. That is a sin that has taken over our hearts that that we no longer trust in Jesus. We no longer trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we reject Jesus. We refuse to believe in him as our Lord and Savior. Oftentimes, uh, students ask me, uh, what is the unforgivable sin? 
You know, what, what, and what does Mark 3.29 mean when Jesus says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven and they're guilty of an eternal sin, right? It sounds like this sin is the unforgivable sin. Well, this unforgivable sin that Jesus is talking about that leads to death, the only sin that ultimately leads to death is rejecting Jesus. When we don't believe in Jesus, that is the sin that leads to death. When we no longer seek repentance, when we no longer care about our sinful desires and we give in to them completely and we don't care what Jesus has to say for our lives and we live the life that we want to live instead, that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That is committing an unforgivable sin. That is denying Christ for what he has done for us. So James makes it clear, if we allow for temptations to take over, if we allow sin to fully form, it will lead to us leaving the faith, apostasy, rejecting Christ, leaving the church. If we are not careful of these sinful desires, sinful temptations, we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit and reject Christ altogether as our Lord and Savior. So don't be fooled, church. We are susceptible to this. The church of Jesus is susceptible to this. I'm sure there are some of us here who think, I'm a Christian. I surely do not reject Christ. But Jesus himself said in Matthew 7 that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not everyone who says they're a Christian are actually Christians. You can say all the right things, you can do all the right things in front of the right people, but if you do not believe in your heart of your sinfulness that you need Christ to save you, if you are not actively trying to flee temptation and flee sinful desires and repent of them daily, if you do not live to seek in a righteous way to honor the Lord, to be obedient to him because of what Christ has done, he has given us this grace to live according to his word now. And all you do is just seek self-fulfillment, selfish desires, and all you care about is what life has for you, and you live this double life in front of other Christians, then your sin is leading to death. Temptations bring sin, and unrepentant sin leads to death. So what is the solution? What is the way to receive the crown of life? Well, I mentioned it in the very beginning. We fix our eyes on God. More specifically, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We treasure Christ for what he's done for us. In reality, we cannot overcome our temptations on our own. We cannot overcome these sinful desires on our own. I'm sure many of you have tried by sheer willpower. But more often than not, you fail, we fail. Because we don't trust in the blood of Christ. We don't trust in, in Jesus. We don't fix our eyes on him. So when trials come, Trust in Jesus. 
Turn to him. Genuinely turn to him. Turn to God. Ask for help. Ask for others to pray for you. That you are not led into temptation. Not led into committing sinful acts. So that's one practical thing we can do. When we sin, when we fall, we confess to God and we confess to one another. That's how we allow the Spirit of Christ to work in us. Hidden sin is sin that we cannot ultimately repent of because we're hiding it. That's why we have to let sin come out into the open. That is the only way we can really repent of it. That's why we have to confess sin first in order to repent of sin. And of course, we have to first confess it to God and ultimately ask God for forgiveness. But it is an important step for us to also confess our sins to one another so that we don't allow this sin to take hold of us. We don't allow Satan to, to use this sin to take a hold of us and to lead us away from God. And confessing is such a great way to not allow this sin to fully grow. We can defeat it and crush it when we bring it to God and bring it before our fellow brothers and sisters. And we pray together and ask the Spirit together to work in us to turn away from these sinful desires and Brothers and sisters, that can happen. We can turn away from our sinful desires. I know many of you may feel that it is impossible to do so. It is so ingrained in us, and it is true. A lot of our sin is so ingrained in us. It is so hard to get rid of. But over time, God works in us. God promises that he will work in us when we confess, when we turn to Christ, when we fix our eyes on him, when we treasure Christ for what he has done for us. God promises to do that work in our hearts to transform us. And you may not see it, but I'm sure that God has already been doing that work in you. Maybe it's a slow process, and a lot of times it is. But God promises to sanctify you, to work in your heart, to make you more and more into the image that God has created you to be, to be like him, to be like Christ. So do not not take heart when, when you are so bound up in your sin. God can do that work in you. And, and God can transform you by his spirit. And so may our trials not lead us into temptation and sin, but instead may it lead us to a more fervent and passionate faith because we fix our eyes on Christ, on Jesus, on what he has done for us. Remember, Paul reminds us that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Uh, to, to close, I just wanted to go back to what James said in our passage, James 12, James 1, 12. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Now, this is apocalyptic language, like end times language. But this isn't like, oh, the world is going to end, doom and gloom apocalypse. Remember, we have victory. We have hope in the end because Jesus is victorious. He is seated on the throne. He is no longer dead, but alive, seated at the right hand of God, the Father. So overcoming sin, overcoming temptation, it does not rest on your ability. It has been accomplished by Christ. It has already been done by what Christ has done on the cross. He was victorious over sin and death. Let me close with Revelation 5.13. And may this give us hope as we persevere and remain steadfast and turn to our God during trials. 
that we would know and believe that God is working in us to change us so that we would truly turn away from sin, turn away from temptation, and trust in Christ that much more. Revelation 5.13, it says this, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. May we receive this blessing as followers of Christ as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage, for reminding us the joys that come with trials, and even in the suffering that we face, Lord. We know that suffering is not good. It is hard, painful. It is something that we do not want to face, but Lord, you bring it before us because, Lord, we need it. We need these trials to come so that our faith is tested, so that we can turn back to you to see our need for you, our need for a Savior. And so, God, when these trials come, may it not lead us to pity ourselves, may it not lead us to, to question you, to curse you, but, God, may we be reminded that it is all about your grace, your love for us, that we are here. And that doesn't matter what happens in this life, but Lord, all that matters is that we trust in what Jesus has done and we live for your glory, for your kingdom. And so God, we know that we can face these temptations, these trials, and know that we can be victorious over them because of your son, because of the victory that he has proclaimed already, that he is with you in heaven ruling and defending us and king over the world. And so, God, when we trust in Christ, we know that, Lord, you will ultimately be, he will ultimately be victorious over our sin and death. And so, God, we remain steadfast and turn to you during these trials, and we pray that you continue to bring blessing upon us so that we can see more and more of your goodness, your grace, your love, that we can live for you in all that we do and make disciples as you call us to do, so God, help us in these things. Help our church to understand this more and more and to experience your spirit more and more, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.